Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Excellent. So my name is Sarah, and I've got the enormous privilege and pleasure of bringing the next Freedom in Christ session to you this morning. I'll start with a little bit about me, if you don't know me very well. Um, I've been walking with Jesus for nearly 30 years. I have the incredibly blessed and wonderful story that I became a Christian the day before my fifth birthday, so I'm very fortunate to have been walking with him most of my life. I've been married to Mike, who's over there in the green t-shirt with the little one, for 12 years, and we've got two lovely girls, Sophie, who's three, and Joy, who's over there, who's two, and as you probably guessed, another one on the way next year. This one's a boy, so he'll be arriving sometime in early March next year. I used to work as a scientist in my sort of former life, um, but now I'm very happy to be busy at home looking after my family. Two and a half years ago, we followed God's call and we moved up here to Birmingham. Previously, we were living in Bedfordshire, involved in a church plant, and God suddenly asked us to come. So we'd known Stuart and Melanie about around 10 years ago in a church they were in in St. Leers. And we'd been following what they were doing, and we knew about this church, and God all of a sudden asked us to come, so we did. I moved here two and a half years ago, and it has been the best two and a half years of our lives so far. I first did the Freedom in Christ course myself around six years ago, and it made an absolutely huge difference to me. I did it when I was at somewhat of a crisis point in my life, um, and it just transformed me and made, made everything better. Um, I'm really, really excited that we're doing it as a church, which if you've talked to me about it recently, you'll, you'll have realized that. And I'm really excited that I get to be a part of bringing it to you today. I'm going to tell you quite a lot more about my personal story as we go through this talk, so you'll be able to see the difference it's made to me. We've seen the difference it's made in other people's lives as well. Mike and I have run several small group courses, Freedom in Christ, both in our previous church and here. We ran one earlier, earlier this year, and we've seen the difference it can make to people's lives. It's absolutely fantastic. So we've looked in the first part of the course at what happened to us when we were saved, at who we are in Christ and at what faith really is. And this second part of the course we're in now looks at the three things that try to stop us from living the Christian life the way it should be lived. And those are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Stuart started looking at the world last week, so this week I'm going to be looking at the flesh. It would be really, really great, wouldn't it, if becoming a Christian meant we automatically started to do everything right and became lovely, wonderful, and perfect people. And often we do see big changes in ourselves when we're saved. I have a couple of friends who, who will tell you the story that they used to swear extremely heavily before they became Christians, like a swear word, a sentence. And after they were saved, it just suddenly stopped. Without them having to make any particular effort, it just stopped. God just did that when they were saved. For some of you, you may have thought or hoped that becoming a Christian would immediately change you into the kind of person that you really want to be, all in one go. And then perhaps you were disappointed to find that months, weeks, days, or even hours later, it doesn't work like that in every area of our lives. We, we really want to please God, and we sense his spirit within us, but often we fail to live as we would want to. And sometimes we don't feel different inside at all. All our bad habits don't instantly disappear, and we still struggle with sin. If we want to be moving in the right direction towards becoming more like Jesus and making the Christian life really work on a day-to-day -day basis, we need to understand what happened when we became Christians, also what did not happen, 
And finally, how to live by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm going to be talking to you about today. So to start with, what did happen when we became Christians? And we've spent the first part of the course looking at this. And it's some pretty huge and dramatic stuff. We have a new heart and a new spirit within us. We are saints, not sinners. A fundamental black and white change has occurred in us. We have new life in Christ. We're no longer spiritually dead, but we're alive. And finally, we have a new master. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says this. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Before our conversion, before we became Christians, we belonged to Satan. And that is not a nice thought. But now God has rescued us. We do not belong to him anymore, but we belong to God instead. And that is all fantastic news, isn't it? So moving on to what did not happen. The first one was pretty obvious. Our bodies didn't change. Although who we are changed fundamentally in the core spiritual part of our being, we became alive and all all that stuff we just looked at. On the outside, we still look the same as before. (coughs) Secondly, our flesh wasn't taken away. And if you have no idea what I mean by flesh, I'm about to explain it, so don't worry. I'm going to read a a verse from the Bible that talks about the flesh. This is from Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And we'll be in and out of Romans over the next little while, so you flick to it if you want to, but I will be reading them out as I go. It says, You, however, are not controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So what does the Bible actually mean by flesh? As we live in the world, uh, we learn to react in certain ways, we learn to cope with life in certain ways, and we learn to think in certain ways. And these old ways and habits of thinking that we pick up by just living in the world are what the Bible means by the word flesh. When we became a Christian, no one pressed a sort of clear button in our minds to get rid of them all. It would be nice if you could just go, and they were all gone, but it doesn't work that way. We didn't get them all taken away and replaced with new godly ways of thinking and behaving when we became Christians. And we will automatically go on with our old ways of thinking and behaving unless we take active steps to walk by the Spirit instead. And we'll go into what that means later. We have to train ourselves, and it takes effort, to think in a way that's in line with the truth of the Bible, rather than according to our past experiences and habits. And the Bible calls that renewing our minds. That's from Romans 12, chapter 2. We have to choose to throw out the old ways of thinking that are based on lies and replace them with new ways of thinking that are based on truth. Later in the course, we'll cover a very practical strategy for doing this, which I've used myself and found to be remarkably effective. There were aspects of the way I used to think and therefore used to feel that I didn't think could ever change, and actually they did, and I'm going to tell you one of those stories in a few minutes. Many modern translations of the Bible don't actually translate the word flesh literally, but instead they interpret it and use a phrase such as sinful nature or old nature. And this is understandable because using the word flesh without explaining what it means perhaps doesn't make a lot of sense to readers in this modern day. But using the word nature in that translation can be quite unhelpful because we've learned, haven't we, over the first part of the course that we don't have a sinful nature anymore. We're not sinners, we're saints who sometimes sin. And so reading that translation sinful nature or old nature can make you go back to thinking that you are sinful. 
but we're not. Deep down, right inside, at the most fundamental level of who we are, we're not sinful, but holy and righteous. A phrase such as sinful tendency might be a bit better. It it suggests there's something inside us that pulls us towards sin without implying that we're by nature sinful. So just remember that. Next time you read sinful nature in your Bible, remember it doesn't mean you're sinful anymore. I've got a couple of stories for you to show you how the flesh works. Firstly, Children who've been badly neglected and then subsequently taken into foster care or adopted often behave quite strangely around food. As food was scarce or perhaps just unpredictably available, maybe there was loads one day and then nothing for three days, in their original family, they often learn to hoard food or to hide it or just to eat as much as they can as fast as they can. And in that situation, that makes perfect sense. They need to do that in order to survive. However, when they arrive in an adoptive or foster family, this kind of behaviour often continues for some time. And although their circumstances have changed, and there's no need for that anymore because there is a plentiful supply of food available, it takes time and relearning of habits and behaviour for the food behaviours to change. I've seen this firsthand with a little boy some friends of ours fostered. You would not have thought it possible for a tiny five-year-old to eat as much as this boy did. He would eat more sausages than Mike in a single meal. And if you know Mike, you know that's quite something. (laughs) And if you weren't watching your own plate, there would be pinch from under your nose. He once took a jar of peanut butter and hid in a cupboard and ate the whole lot. And he also used to swallow whole oranges in one go like a python. And these were all behaviours that he'd learnt as a result of his, his old circumstances. In his new family, that wasn't necessary, and it took time, um, but eventually he realised that, and this kind of behaviour stops, and now he behaves fairly normally around food. So these flesh patterns, or habits of thinking and behaving, can be picked up by the circumstances we live in, such as that example, or, for example, it might be the kind of parenting you grew up with, it might be a place that you worked, it might be a relationship you were in, but also they can be started by one-off traumatic events or things people say to us. And this second example is about one of those. When I was in my first year at university, a boyfriend broke up with me and told me the main reason was because he thought I was boring to be around. Now, this single comment had a massive impact on me and coloured all my future relationships with people. I subconsciously assumed that that was what everyone else thought of me too. That's not a deliberate decision I made. I didn't think it through. But that's what I ended up thinking and feeling. And you can, as you can imagine, that made me pretty miserable. I would completely overreact to things and overthink things in a really negative way. So, for example, if I was trying to arrange to see someone and they didn't text me back, I would go into a horrible negative spiral of thinking about how they thought I was boring, they didn't want to see, see me and they, they didn't want to be my friend and all that sort of thing. And the reality probably was they just forgot or lost their phone or something like that. It really dominated my thinking, and it made me feel worthless and insignificant and unvalued and unloved. This was one of the things that actually didn't get dealt with the very first time I did this course. I guess God can only do so much with us at once. And it was only six months or so after after we moved here, when I had a sort of New Year's spiritual review and clear-out, that God brought it to my attention to deal with it. The key to dealing with wrong habits of thinking in your flesh is to figure out what the lie is that you've believed and then what the truth is that you need to replace it with. 
You might think that the lie was that I was boring, and the truth was that I needed to believe I was not boring, but actually it went a lot deeper than that. The lie was that it mattered to me far too much what other people thought of me. And at times I was basing my sense of worth and value almost entirely on that. I had to go back to the Bible and find out what God thought about me. And it took a good month or more of a really determined effort to choose to believe the truth over the lie. And that completely transformed me. Now, I, I really know in my heart the enormous value that God places on me and what he thinks about me. And actually, what other people think doesn't matter that much to me. Um, and I'm free to really enjoy friendships in the way that I never have before. Another story, again, about me is that God has helped me deal with it came from way back in my past. Just before I was seven, my dad died of cancer. And this left me with a really strong fear of anyone I loved dying. And that's, I think that's a fairly normal response to a childhood trauma like that. But whenever people I loved, particularly Mike or my brother or my mum, would get ill, I would, and I don't mean seriously ill, I mean like the flu or a tummy bug, stuff like that, I would be gripped by this fear and go into a, sort of a downward spiral again of negative thoughts about the worst that could possibly happen. And if someone was late, so if they were half an hour late to pick me up or something like that, I would assume they'd been killed in a car crash and be thinking how I could get to the hospital and all that. And it really, it was real to me. God changed this in me after the first time I did this course. I realised that although there were no Bible promises that no one I loved would ever die, that's not in the Bible and God doesn't promise that's never going to happen, The truth I needed to replace it with was actually that Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. There just isn't any point worrying about what might happen, and all it did was make me miserable. So I realized this a few weeks ago. I realized how much this had changed. When my mum had a hip replacement done, and it was probably about three weeks ago, and it was a fairly major operation. And before God changed this in me, I would have been completely gripped by fear. I would have been unable to concentrate on anything else the day of the operation and then a few days of recovery afterwards. Um, But actually this time I was almost feeling guilty that I wasn't more worried about it. (laughs) I was thinking about her and I was praying for her and I guess concerned to a sensible sort of extent but I was completely free from that grip of fear and worrying that would have been the old pattern of thinking from my flesh. So we've looked at what, what didn't happen when we became Christians. Our bodies didn't change, our flesh was not taken away, and finally, sin didn't die. Sin itself is not dead, far from it. In fact, it's still enormously appealing, and it tempts us every day to meet those legitimate needs we have for security, significance, and acceptance through things other than God. And you've probably noticed that yourselves. You don't need me to tell you. So how can we resist it? Well... Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the key to freedom is knowing the truth about sin. What is our relationship with sin now we are in Christ? Going back to Romans again, we're in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So sin used to be our master, but it has no power over us anymore. We've been set free. Going on to verse 11, it says, You also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. 
I used to think with this verse that it was the considering that made us dead to sin, like we had to really try very, very hard to think that we were dead to sin, and then we wouldn't want to do it anymore. But it's not about that at all. It's simply about realizing something that's already happened and is already true. We died with Christ, and his death ended our relationship with sin, just like the death of one partner in a marriage ends the marriage. We are told to consider it so just because it's true. That doesn't mean it always feels true. I sometimes feel very alive to sin and very dead to God, but I simply need to choose to believe what is true rather than what my feelings are telling me. Paul, who's one of the most famous early Christians and wrote a lot of the Bible, had exactly the same struggles as we do. I really love that God put this kind of stuff in the Bible so we... You know, the real, not-so-easy stuff is in there, as well as the lovely, happy stuff. This is Romans 7, verses 21 to 23. And I'm sure I recognize exactly what he's saying, and I'm sure you will too. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So it's clear that the law of sin is still effective. How can you overcome a law that's still effective? By using a greater law. So Romans 8 verse 2, and this is a good news bit, says that the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. For example, although it's something I used to dream about a lot as a child, and I would really like to be able to, I can't fly, sadly. I used to dream about running along and flapping my wings and taking off and soaring into the sky, and then I would wake up and realize I couldn't. The law of gravity stops me, and there isn't a way to remove or nullify that law. However, I can get into an airplane, and I can fly, because I can overcome the law of gravity by the laws of aerodynamics and the power of the plane's engines. The law of gravity hasn't stopped working, but I've used a more powerful law to overcome it. Now, the law at work in us now, the Bible says, as a child of God, is the law of the spirit of life, and it's far greater than the law of sin and death. Before, I had no choice but to stay stuck on the ground in my sin, but now I can choose to fly above by the power of the spirit. So we face some very real choices day to day. Even though we no longer have to think and react according to our flesh, we can choose to do so. And even though sin has no power over us, we can choose to give in to it. So although nothing can change the facts of who you now are in Christ and God's love for you, the outcome of that in our day-to-day lives is down to our individual choice. We can choose to believe what God says and act on it or not. In 1 Corinthians... Paul describes three different types of person. And this is the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, if you want to go and look it up later. We have the natural person, the spiritual person, and the fleshly person. I'll go through them one by one. The natural person is someone who isn't yet a Christian. They're physically alive, but spiritually dead, separated from God, living independently of God, and living entirely by their flesh, so all their choices and actions are dictated by the flesh. This doesn't mean they'll necessarily feel unhappy. They may have developed fairly effective ways of feeling good about themselves, independently of God, perhaps through a job or relationships or money or appearance. However, in the long run, they'll find they have no spiritual basis for coping with the stresses and crises of life. And unless they're born again, they will have no right to be in heaven with God at the end of everything. 
Secondly is a spiritual person, and this is the normal state for us as a Christian. This is what we should see ourselves as. We've been transformed through faith in Christ. Our spirits are now alive and united with God. We've received forgiveness and acceptance and realized how much we're worth in Christ, and we're choosing to follow God's spirit instead of our flesh. We should also be renewing our minds. That means discovering and getting rid of those old ways of thinking based on lies and replacing them with the good stuff based on truth. And we should be peaceful and joyful people. This is the ideal. This is the model of maturity towards which we're all moving. Don't dismiss it as an impossible dream or something that works for other people but isn't going to work for you. God says he's given us everything we need to live this way. And if the Bible says that's true, then it's true. And this is, this is one of my favorite verses that confirms that. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So the third person is what the Bible calls the fleshly person. This is a Christian who, although they're spiritually alive, chooses to follow their flesh instead of the Holy Spirit. This choice is either deliberate, which seems fairly unlikely to me, that's probably a minority of people, or just because they don't understand what's going on, or they're being deceived, or they don't understand the truth of who they are in Christ. Their daily life will look a lot like a non-Christian person. Their mind is full of wrong thoughts. They experience overwhelmingly negative emotions and are plagued by feelings of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy, guilt, worry and doubt. And their body may well be showing signs of stress as well. They also tend to get stuck in certain sins. The sort of thing where you, it's something that you really don't want to do then you end up doing it and then you feel terrible and you say sorry to God and say you'll never do it again. You vow to yourself you'll never do it again. You really intend never to do it again. And then the next week or day or month you do it again. Um, It might be something like comfort eating or losing your temper or gossip or sexual sin or drinking too much. You can end up feeling stuck and completely hopeless and like you're in the grip of something you just can't escape from even though you want to. I'm sure that sounds familiar. Certainly I've experienced that myself. I'm sure that sounds familiar to a lot of you. The salvation of the fleshly Christian isn't in doubt, but he accomplishes nothing much of eternal value, which is a real tragedy when one day he or she will stand before God and look back at what might have been in their lives. Before I did this course for the first time, this described me quite well. I looked at that slide and thought, yeah, that's me. Although on the outside, you might not have noticed anything was wrong unless you knew me really well. Inside, I was utterly miserable and full of negative thoughts and worry and hopelessness. I had an apparently great life. I had a great job. Um, I had a lovely husband. We had a nice house. And you would have seen me externally doing lots of the things that I do now. So I was leading worship. We were probably leading a small group. I think we were involved in Alpha. Um, But inside, I was depressed and hopeless. And although I didn't actually want to kill myself, I wouldn't have physically gone and done it, I just felt like I didn't want to exist anymore. I would really have liked to have gone to sleep and not woken up again. That was how I felt. And having been a Christian for years, I knew that the Bible said I should be full of joy and peace and purpose and living life to the full. But knowing that just made me feel worse because I knew there was something wrong in me, but I didn't know how to fix it. I also knew I ought to be telling my friends about God, but I couldn't because I felt like I was such a fraud. If I'd been a Christian for 20 years and I couldn't make this faith work for me, how on earth could I tell my friends about it? 
Thankfully, there were some wise people in our lives who suggested doing this course as the beginning of a solution, and I'll tell you the rest of the story later. It does have a happy ending. So, the Bible clearly says that God has given us everything we need to live a life that pleases him. We already have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And God does not need to do anything else so that you can be free in Christ and be fruitful. It's not a question of going forward for prayer at a particular moment or getting the right special person to pray for you. We just need to learn to use what we've already been given to deal with the barriers to growth in our lives. There are three main barriers to growth. The first one is ignorance. Often, we just don't understand the truth of who we are in Christ. In our culture, teaching in our churches is often concentrated on telling us what we should be doing rather than telling us who we are. And that just doesn't work. Our behavior comes out of what we believe, not the other way around. Hopefully, if this is you, this course will help you discover the truth that you need to move on. And this was definitely true for me. I found it so helpful to have the choice between flesh and spirit really clearly explained so I could see what was really going on. Before, it was a bit like I was in a boat being swept down a river in thick fog. I was just being carried along. I couldn't really see what was happening. And I think afterwards, it felt like the fog had lifted. I could look down at the boat, see there were oars there, which I could pick up and use to choose which direction I wanted to go in. And I could see what was happening. Just understanding there was a choice to be made between flesh and spirit made a huge difference to me. Um, and I wasn't, didn't have to be just swept along by my old habits of thinking and behaving anymore. The second barrier is deception. The Colossians 2, verses 6 to 8, says this. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with hollow and deceptive philosophies that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So this is saying that you're either growing with your roots going deeper into Christ and your faith getting stronger or you've been taken captive by some deceptive way of thinking. Deception isn't easy to spot Because if you're being deceived, by definition, you don't see it. It might be thoughts like the following. And listen carefully to these, because I really believe that as I read through these, some of you are going to recognize them as your own and realize that you have been deceived. This course might work for other people, but it'll never work for me. God could never use me to do anything good because of that awful thing I did in the past. That sin has written me off and I'm a lost cause. I could never have a faith like Stuart and Melanie. I can't get really stuck into this church because when people get to know me, they'll figure out what I'm really like and then they won't want me around. I just can't be a fruitful Christian because of something that was done to me in the past and that might be abuse, divorce or some other traumatic experience. I can't change. This is just the way I am. If you recognize any of those thoughts, then you are being deceived, and I'll come back to what you need to do about that later. So thirdly, for many of us, the reason we don't move on is that we simply have too much stuff from our past holding us back. The Bible is really clear that sin gives the enemy a means to hold us back. One example is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says that if we don't deal with our anger quickly but instead let it turn into bitterness and unforgiveness, we give the devil a foothold in our lives. 
And that is a horrible thought. None of us would do that on purpose, but we, we do it without realizing what is happening. Sin gives the enemy a means to hold us back, as if we're tied with invisible bungee cords or horrible sticky spider's webs to our past. Many of us have come to faith, but we haven't fully repented of sin from our past, and so our growth can be stunted because we're held back and we just can't move on. For example, if you haven't truly forgiven someone who hurt you, you leave a big door open to the enemy to confuse your thinking and to stop you connecting with the truth in the Bible. If you don't close that door by obeying God and forgiving them, no matter how well someone preaches the truth to you or who you get to pray with you, you're unlikely to be able to significantly move forward. Going back to my story, I realized that this was exactly what had happened to me. I'd not forgiven some people who'd hurt me. And this wasn't because I didn't want to. I knew I had to do it, and I I really wanted to, but I just didn't understand what forgiveness was, and I was at a complete loss as to how to do it. I was stuck. I was trying to start at completely the wrong end of things with my feelings, um, and I was trying to kind of feel nice thoughts towards them and feel nice feelings towards them. I thought that was what forgiveness was. When I really understood what forgiveness was through going through this course, and it's in session nine, it's coming up, a really good one, I realized that it was a choice, not a feeling. And I chose to forgive those people, and actually an enormously long list of other people as well, which I hadn't even realized I needed to forgive. And that was the key to me moving forward. It wasn't instant, but over a few months, my feelings changed, and the depression and hopelessness, all that horrible stuff lifted away. And I finally understood how to make the Christian life work the way it should. I'm certainly not perfect at all. I've got lots of work to do still, but I've never again experienced such overwhelmingly negative emotions again. My mind is so much more peaceful. It's like a completely different place, actually. And I feel like I really know what Jesus meant by having life in all its fullness. And now I will happily invite my friends along to church because I know Christianity does work in practice. I don't feel like a hypocrite, and I feel I really have got good news to give people. Later in the course, sometime next year, you'll have a chance to go through a process called the Steps to Freedom in Christ. It's kind of like a spiritual spring clean or health check. Uh, It's a tool that you can use to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you've not repented of things. So you can close the door to the enemy's influence by dealing with the stuff from your past that's holding you back. It's nothing scary. In fact, it's just a workbook like the ones you've already got. And you go through it. There are various prayers and declarations to say out loud. There are lists of things to consider as you ask God to show you anything that he might want you to deal with. And you'll be guided through the process by someone who knows the process well and can help you. It's not just a one-off thing. It becomes a way of life, actually, as it teaches you how to deal with issues as they arise instead of leaving them to fester for years. So now I know if someone does something that hurts me, I need to stop, choose to forgive them let it go and move on. So I'm not walking through life accumulating loads more baggage. I'm able to just, in general, (laughs) walk through free of stuff and getting rid of it as it arises. For many people who do this course, going through the steps process suddenly enables them to really get hold of truth for the first time in their hearts, not just in their heads. And this happened for me in in quite a dramatic way. I'd, I'd been in really good churches all my life with really solid teaching, But I'd not really got the fact, somehow, that I was a saint and not a sinner. I'd been a Christian for years, but I'd not fully understood that truth. I could probably have quoted you all the Bible verses that 
tell you, tell you it. I knew them off by heart. But I still felt on some level dirty or guilty, or as if God was a bit cross with me a lot of the time, was looking down on my behaviour and was frowning at me. Perhaps like I was wearing beautiful new clean clothes, but it was a bit grubby underneath. Like I had something to hide. And actually, when I realised that God sees me as clean and pure and righteous through and through, and nothing I do can change that, it was just amazing. And I can't believe I didn't see it before, but when I did, connecting with that truth on a heart level instead of just in my head really has set me free. I've spoken to several people who said they sat through the first part of this course that we're in now, thinking, I've heard all this before, nothing new here. What's the fuss about this course? I'm not getting anything out of it. Why do people go on about it so much? And then they've gone into the Steps to Freedom process, perhaps somewhat reluctantly, not really expecting much, but they've been absolutely blown away by how much God has done with it. So I would say to you, whatever you think of the course right now, and I hope you love it, but whatever you think of it, be really excited and expectant for the Steps process next year. It's not scary at all, and if you go into it wholeheartedly open to what God wants to do with you, it will bless you enormously. So once we decide to believe the truth, no matter how we feel, and have dealt with the stuff from the past that's holding us back, we are genuinely free to make a choice every day between flesh and spirit. That free choice is really important to God. He didn't want mindless servant robots that just obey because they're programmed to. He wanted children who choose to obey him out of love for their father. So what is walking by the Spirit? Well, it's not just a good feeling. Often the Holy Spirit does come and fill us, so we feel overwhelming joy or peace, and that is wonderful. But being filled with the Spirit and following him day by day is about much more than just that. It's not a license to do whatever we want. And conversely, it's not legalism. So many of us tend to live as if we still have to obey certain rules in order to be accepted by God or to be a good Christian. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. God doesn't want us to obey because we feel we have to. He wants us to obey because we want to. And when we really see him for who he is and realize all he has done for us and that he will love us no matter what we do or don't do, we want to obey him and that really blesses him. So this changed for me after I realized that I was completely acceptable and lovely to God no matter what I did. My kind of feelings about going to church changed quite dramatically. I would say before the course, I probably went to church about, I went, we went to church pretty much every week, but about a third of the time that I went to a Sunday morning service or a life group or a prayer meeting, about a third of the time, I reckon, I went because I knew I would feel guilty if I didn't, and perhaps I would rather have been doing something else, but I went out of duty and because that was what I should be doing, and yeah, because I knew if I sat at home watching Downton Abbey instead, I would feel guilty. Um, since I'm doing the course, I honestly don't think there has been a single occasion where I have gone to church, life group, or a prayer meeting because I felt like that. I go now because I want to, because I just love being with everyone that loves God too. Um, with the prayer meeting thing, before we did the course, there would be a kind of, oh, Mike, you can go to the prayer meeting, I'm not bothered. Whereas now we, can, we almost have a fight over who gets to go. There's like a turn system to make sure everyone gets a fair go at going to the prayer meeting. So that's made a massive difference to me. Walking by the Spirit is true freedom. That freedom to follow, you follow what God says because you love him, that is freedom. And it's about being led. 
In the Western world, we drive our sheep from behind using dogs or, in the modern world, quad bikes. But in Israel, the shepherd led from the front and the sheep followed him because they knew his voice. So that's what Jesus says in John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's also walking at God's pace and in the right direction. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Being yoked is a farming term where two horses or oxen would pull a plough or a cart together, joined by something across their shoulders. They had to go at the same speed in the same direction if it was going to work. A more modern analogy, which might help you a bit more, is the three-legged race. So if you can just take a moment to remember the last time you tried to do that, or the last time you watched someone else try to do that. It only works if the two of you are going in the same direction, the same speed, and you have to keep in step with each other, or everyone falls over and you don't get anywhere. There is a balance to be struck here. Nothing will get done if we expect God to do everything for us, but neither can we accomplish anything of eternal significance on our own. Only Jesus knows the right pace and the right direction for you to walk. If you go with him, you'll learn that there is true rest for your soul. Even when life is difficult and things are hard work, there is rest within that if you're walking with him. So how can we tell if we're walking by the Spirit? Well, I reckon by this point in the talk, you will probably have a fairly good idea, if you are or not. The Bible says we should look at our lives as if they're a tree with fruit, and you can tell whether you're walking by the Spirit by whether you see the Holy Spirit's fruit in your life. So it's all the good stuff on the right-hand side of the slide. Or if, you're, if your life is dominated by more of the opposite, then perhaps you're walking more by the flesh. So I doubt there's many of us that are involved in orgies here, but perhaps if you think about what the opposites of the fruit of the Spirit are, so I know sadness instead of joy, worry instead of peace all those sorts of things. Or perhaps when we talked about the spiritual person and the fleshly person earlier, perhaps you recognized yourself in one or the other like I did the first time I saw this session of the course. Walking by the Spirit is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day experience. And once you realize how God really feels about you, you realize that even when you fall and mess up, you can just pick yourself up, go to God and repent and start all over again. So I've got three application points for us this morning. So could I have the band come and get yourselves ready while I go through them, please? Firstly, have you become aware this morning that you're walking mainly by the flesh rather than by the spirit? If you have, I want to invite you to make a start on sorting that out today. You simply need to confess it. And all that means is tell God that you realize that's what you've been doing. Deal with any footholds of the enemy in your life. Perhaps God has brought to mind this morning some sin you haven't repented of or some unforgiveness. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and start living according to your new identity in Christ, making the choice to follow the Spirit moment by moment. Secondly, have you become aware this morning that you've been deceived? Earlier I talked about a few specific lies that the enemy traps people with, negative thoughts that you've had that you believe are true. And as I spoke, I I really believe some of you will have recognized those as your own and felt God speaking to you. So what should you do? Well, actually realizing that you've been deceived is a huge part of the solution. So this morning, 
If you've recognized a lie for the first time, that's a massive step forward. So I would encourage you to just talk to God about it and tell him what you've realized and make a decision today to reject that lie and decide to believe the truth instead. Once we've all done a really good spiritual clear-up by going through the steps to freedom in the new year, they'll be teaching on practical ways to renew your mind and replace the lies with truth. It's not a quick fix and it takes some hard work, but it's so worth it. Finally, we can all of us benefit from asking the Holy Spirit to fill us again so we can walk more closely with him. And I would encourage you to do that this morning and every morning. Try, perhaps this week, making a really deliberate effort to ask him to fill you and guide you and help you and speak to you and see what happens. I find that the times at the moment when my day-to-day life isn't going very well, it's usually because I've simply forgotten to ask God for help. And when I do, everything goes better, even though circumstances haven't changed. So, could you stand with me if you're able to? So while, while the bands play quietly, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to talk to God about anything that's come up for you today. So firstly, if you've been aware that you're mainly walking by the flesh. Secondly, if you've become aware that you've been deceived. Or thirdly, just to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again so you can walk more closely with him. So I'll give you a couple of minutes to close your eyes and talk to God about that and then we will worship him.